are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. If you got your Bible with me, can you guys turn? We're going to turn to look at two passages. We're going to look at Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. And when you guys are finding your place, let me just introduce myself. Um, my name is Josh. Um, I am 26 years old. Um, right now, I am going to school at seminary in Alliance Theological Seminary in Nyack. Um, so I got two more years of my schooling left. Um, hey, Victor, what's up in the back? Um, right now, I'm currently serving as an intern pastor at New Mercy Community Church. Hey, what's up, Danny? Uh, New Mercy Community Church in Hackensack, New Jersey. Sorry, I'm seeing like all these random faces right now. So, um, yeah, I'm serving as an intern pastor there. It's been great. This is my first time preaching at Pursuit. Um, so, yeah, and you know, PCM asked me to share maybe about two months ago for this gathering. And, yeah, I really didn't know what I wanted to preach about. So I was just examining things that I'm passionate about in my heart. Like, should I just talk about vision and calling? Should I talk about finding your destiny? Should I, should I talk about, you know, character and integrity? But just looking over back the five, six years of my journey that I've been walking with God, I realized that one of the most um, foundational things in my life and one of the biggest passions in my life that helped me in my relationship with God and, and helped me becoming the person that I am today and, and helping me being able to persevere some of the things that I went through in life from failing from pharmacy to surviving a year in Africa. It, it's, it's worship, you know? You know, whether we're on mountain high or valley lows, we, we always have a choice to worship because worship is ultimately acknowledging and giving worth to God. Amen? Amen. Like, how many of you guys know that the word worship comes from the old English word, worship? That the very core of worship, it's simply giving worth to God because He's worthy, He's faithful, and He's good. Amen? So despite the narrative, despite the narrative of changing circumstances, situations that you guys find yourself in, we always have the power to choose worship because the worthiness of Jesus never changes. The worthiness of Jesus never changes. So if you look at me in Genesis chapter 12, let me read, up, let me read for us. This is one chapter, uh, verse one through eight. The Lord has said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set off from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, Altar. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. We're going to just skip to Genesis chapter 22. Verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. 
On the third day, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's just pray before we begin. Father, we thank you that your presence is already here. We thank you that you've shown up, God. And God, we're just expecting you just to move powerfully tonight. Jesus, we thank you that your worthiness never changes. That our circumstances and situations don't determine our worship because you will always be worthy in our life. So we thank you, we love you, we honor you. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Um, one of the things that I really had to trust God last year in 2016 was um, dealing with finances. I was basically jobless for three quarters of the year um, because of my limited availability and schedule. So just to give you just a little bit of int- like, I guess, description of my life, um, I'm basically a full-time student at ATS, so I'm going to school two or three times during the week. And basically, God called me to this internship, paid, uh, internship at New Mercy. Um, so basically, my Fridays through Sundays were essentially booked. So, I, you know, I applied to so many different places, uh, but it's hard for me to get a job because no matter where I went, basically the manager would be like, hey, Josh, we love you, but honestly, we just can't work with your two days of schedule. Like, sorry, we can't, we can't do that for you. And it was really only by the generosity of a few people in my life that I was able to survive that entire year. Like, God was so faithful. Just he gave you some testimonies. Like, two months into 2016, I was like already down to my last $100. And I was like, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And one of the pastors at my church, um, she said she prayed for me. She felt like God was telling her, telling her to give her entire second paycheck to me. Right. And this this woman has four kids of her own, like four teenagers. And I'm like stealing money from four teenagers. You know, um, another time, like um, like two months later during that time, um, I remember one of the couples at my church, they, they, they called me aside and say, hey, Josh, come over. here." And they're like, we were just praying for you this past weekend. And we just felt like God was telling you to bless you with finances. So they wrote me a check of two thousand dollars on the spot. Yeah. Right. And then lastly, like I remember one time I was down to my last twenty dollars at this time. And I was like, all right, I have enough tank for just gas and toll. And I don't know what we're going to do, God. And literally past the sand, he calls me. He's like, hey, let's meet up. And we meet up. And he literally just gives me an envelope of cash. And he says, hey, like, you know, I was praying for you. And I felt like this was for you. And, you know, like, yeah, like, gosh, it's been provided for me like crazy last year. Um, But in September last year, by the grace of God, I was able to get a job at a clothing store called American Apparel. How many of you guys know American Apparel? Yeah, no longer exists anymore. It's no longer a company that exists. Um, 
But yeah, basically I worked for four months and it was really interesting working there because I worked with a lot of Rutgers college students, right? And they're like the most basic girls. Like they're like the most basic white girls. Like, I'm sorry to say that, but they're like the most basic white girls talking about Justin Bieber and like just all this random stuff that I didn't really care about. Um, and basically at work, everyone's interested in each other's lives outside of work, right? So, you know, they ask questions and once they found out that I'm becoming a pastor, they're amazed and they're shocked. They're like, what? You're becoming a pastor? Like there's a school for that? Like you get a degree? And I'm, once I tell them that you get your master's in divinity, they're like, oh shoot, that sounds like Harry Potter stuff, and I'm like, yeah. Um, and then once they found out that I become a pastor, they start asking funny questions. They're like, as a pastor, are you allowed to do cocaine? And I'm like, no, I don't think anyone should do cocaine, no? Like, as a pastor, are you allowed to kiss? Are you allowed to get married? Like, are you allowed to have sex? And I'm like, yeah, I think that only applies to like Catholic priests and nuns. In my head, I'm thinking like, Lord, thank you so much that I get to marry, make love, and have kids, amen? <laughs> Uh, while I was, you know, and while I was thankful for being able to get this job with my very limited availability, um, to be honest, it was a very frustrating season for me. Because just to give you a little bit of brief update, um, you know, right after college, I dedicated a year of my life to, as a missionary to go to Ivory Coast, and I, and I served as a missionary for one year. And while I was there, it was, while I was there, it was very difficult. And I just felt like throughout the year, God was just giving me promises like, hey, Josh, when you finally get back, you're finally going to go to ministry. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what you've been dreaming for, right? And at that time, uh, my family was and is still going through a lot of financial difficulties. So I was like, man, I can't wait to get back. And, and as the eldest son of my family, I feel a burden and a responsibility. You know, I was like, I can't wait to go back to finally help my parents. Like in Africa, I can't do anything here but pray. But I can't finally wait to go back and just help my parents out. So, you know, when I was expecting to come back, I was expecting things to just be smooth, right? Like school will start, I will finally do ministry, I'm, you know, I'm going to get a job at a church and be able to help my parents out, but like I said, I came back and I felt like God was telling me to take this non-paid internship at his church, and I was trying to find two other part-time jobs and stuff like that, but no matter where I searched and looked, I just couldn't find any part-time jobs, and then by the grace of God, I finally found myself with a job, but it was at American Apparel of all places at a retail store. And for those of you guys who work at retail store, you know that like most of the time, well, most of the time I spend my time in the backstop room where there's no ventilation, it's messy, there's clothes all over the place, it's smelly, it's just, it's just the worst place. And then I remember one time that I was just folding clothes and I had to ask myself like, Josh, what the heck are you doing here? Like, what are you doing here? There's other people who are in full-time ministry, other people getting married. Like one of my favorite pastors, Danny Leapshire, he was doing full-time youth group revival movement at, the, at this time in my life, at the age of 25. And here I am just working in the backstock room of American Apparel. And once again, it's not coming from a place of entitlement or it's not coming from a place of ingratitude because I was so thankful because like, I was able to help out my parents. I was able to like, financially sustain myself. But it was just a season of frustration and doubt. And, and, and I would ask myself, God, have you forgotten about me and the promises that you've made? God, like, why am I stuck in this season? And I think one of the biggest struggles and temptations of our time is loving God right where we are. It's, it, I think one of the biggest struggles of our time is dealing with timelines. Like a lot of times we think to ourselves, man, I should be somewhere else. I should be married by now. I should be dating by now. I should have kids by now. I should be at this point in my career by now. I should be further along. So for, for many of us, the, the battle that we face is loving God right where we are. And this is something that Abraham understood in his journey with God. 
So we begin in Genesis 12 here, right? And this is after God sends the flood and kind of restarts his plan of creation. And he basically saves the family of Noah. And through this family of Noah and this lineage, there comes a man, Abram, right? We know him as Abraham, but at this beginning of his journey, it's Abram. And through Abram, God would redeem the world. Because Abram's family would become the nation of Israel. And the, and and. Through this nation of Israel and the covenant relationship that she would that she would have with God, all the other nations will be blessed and come to know God as well. So we see that God speaks promises into Abraham's life. Two promises. Number one, I'm going to give you this land. And number two, I'm going to give you many descendants. And with these two things, God would make Abraham into a great nation so that all the families on the earth will be just be blessed by this single family. So God commands Abraham to leave his homeland and go to this land, foreign land called Canaan. So what does Abraham do? He uproots his whole family, his wife, his nephew, his possessions, his livestock. And he takes a journey of faith and he goes into a land that he knows nothing about. And when Abraham gets there, God reaffirms the promise once again by telling him, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. So what does Abraham do in response? We see that Abraham builds an altar. He dedicates it to God. And he worships him right in that very moment. And this idea of building altars is important in Abraham's life. We see that Abraham, he builds altars after altars in different places and in different seasons all throughout his lifetime. Like in Genesis 12, we see that he already builds two altars here. But right after, in Genesis 13 in Hebron, we actually see Abraham building another altar. And then in Genesis 21, we actually get like a cool worship scene where Abraham actually plants a tree and calls on the name of the Lord. And the Lord shows up and then he worships God in that very moment. Altars were a place of ritual, ritualistic, a ritualistic sacrifice back in the Old Testament. You would slaughter an animal as an act of worship before the Lord. But more than just being a place of sacrifice and slaughter, altars function in diverse ways, right? Number one, it was like, it was a way to remind yourself of the divine promises that you had with God. Number two, it was a way to claim property that God gave to you. And number three, it was to remind yourself of the divine encounters that you had with God. You guys remember like Jacob, right? Where he has that crazy encounter where the heaven, stairways of heaven come down, right? And he has a divine encounter with the Lord. What does Jacob do in that situation? He builds an altar right there and he leaves it. But ultimately, altars functioned as the meeting places between God and man. Altars was where one worshipped God. And if you looked at Abraham building altars, he built them anytime and anywhere. Because back in Abraham's day, you worshipped where you were. You worshipped right where you were. There wasn't a church building that you gathered in. There wasn't a group of people called the church that you would worship with. There wasn't Janet and Jay up as worship leaders, like leading people into worship. But what would happen is that the father of the household, he would gather all his children and, and, and his wife and, and all his family together, and he would lay rocks upon rocks, building an altar. And they would slaughter an animal right there, and they would worship God right in that very moment. Therefore, as Abraham is building altars in different places and in different seasons, his heart is basically saying this, God, I can worship you anywhere. My, my life is worship. Where I'm at is a place of worship. And thanks to Jesus being the last ultimate sacrifice in this sacrificial system, we don't need to go out there and like kill a deer or a squirrel and bring it back and place it on an altar here and drain its blood. We don't need to go through all that slaughter and sacrifice. That's amen. Um, but I think this idea of building altars still applies to us today and that we're called to worship God right where we are. You know, worship isn't just an event on Sunday. Worship isn't just a gathering. 
Worship isn't a realm set apart from the rest of your life. But your whole life is worship, amen? Your whole life is worship. That's why A.W. Tozer, he says this, life isn't divided between the sacred and the secular. Life isn't divided between the sacred and the secular. And in John 8, 29, this is what Jesus says. He says, I always do what pleases the Father. And what Jesus is basically saying is that everything I do pleases the Father because I understand that everything I do is an act of worship unto God. And therefore, Jesus understood that there was no such thing as a divided life between the sacred and the secular. Everything he did was an act of worship pleasing unto his Father. And Abraham understood this as well, that building altars and worshiping God isn't something that you just do once a week. Or from time to time. But it's something that you do in every season, no matter where you're at. And so the pretty amazing thing about Abraham's journey is that you can trace his entire life and all the different seasons that he went through by looking at the very places and his very act of building altars to altars everywhere he went. In the beginning of his story, Genesis 12, we see that Abraham is in a season of promise, right? God is giving him all this great promise. You're going to be a great nation. I'm going to give you land. You're going to, be, you're, you're going to have so many descendants, right? This, we all experience these seasons before. Like, nothing can go wrong. It's great. Like, you would caption as hashtag bless up, right? Nothing can go wrong. And what does Abraham do in our very passage? He builds an altar and he worships before God. But not too far after that, we actually see in Genesis 13 that Abraham enters into a season of doubt. Do you see? There's a famine that entered into the land of Canaan, right? And instead of trusting in God, what Abraham does is he he uproots his whole family and he takes his family down to Egypt, away from the very land God promised him. Because in Egypt, there would be food and provision and safety and security. So Abraham already jeopardizes one of the promises that God gave to him. And not only then, when he gets there, things kind of get even more messy, right? Pharaoh kind of takes interest in his hot wife, Sarah. So then, you know, Abraham, he's worried that he's going to lose his life. So, like, he does this crazy thing where he kind of offers up his wife. Like, that's not the husband that you want. But, you know, he does that crazy thing. And But even in this season of doubt, in the season of confusion, in the season of taking matters into his own hand and jeopardizing the very promises that God gave to him, we see, actually, right after he exits Egypt, Abraham built an altar right there and he worships God once again. And then later down in Genesis 22, the latter half of our passage today, Abraham is in a season of blessing and he's in a season of fulfillment. He's finally received his son Isaac that he's been waiting for 20 plus years, right? And he's seeing his young boy grow up into a fine young man, right? He's he's having father-son moments that he's only dreamed of. But God kind of throws him a curveball in this season as well. And God commands Abraham to sacrifice your one and only son whom you love so much. And how does Abraham respond? Even then, Abraham builds an altar in that season, even if it meant that it would cost him his very own son and the promise that he's been waiting all his life. Worship is a journey. You see, God invites us into seasons. He leads us into seasons. And he walks with us through seasons. God is worshipped and known throughout all these different seasons that we go through. And that's why I believe that worship, your worship is so important because your worship tells a story of your history and your journey with God in and through all different seasons. Amen. Your worship is a narrative that shows other where and how you've been walking with God. And like, if you look at Abraham's life, his faith is actually developed through seasons. It's not like Abraham's journey with God is a plateau, but he has ups and downs. He has mountain highs and he has valley lows. He has blessings and failures. He's faithful and then he's not faithful in another moment. 
But through all these different seasons and in different places that God leads him to, he comes to know God as a promise maker in one season, as a promise keeper in another season, as a covenant maker in another season, as a provider, as a protector in another season. So your worship is a story that tells your journey with God. You know, for the four months that I was working in American Apparel, like, now I dreaded every time I had to go to work. Cause like I knew I would just be doing meaningless work, just folding body suits and cat suits. And it was like Halloween during that time, right? So I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm touching things. I'm like, I don't know what, what a girl's wearing, you know? And I'm like, oh. And like every time I would just go into work, I would just pray to God and I would just tell him like, God, like, I just can't wait for this season to be over, right? Like I understand the season is to sow, it's to learn, it's to prepare, it's to get ready for the seasons to come. But like, God, I just can't wait for the season to be over because I'm just looking for the next seasons to come because they're going to be great. They're going to be awesome. It's like, can you just speed the season so that it's over with? Because I just want to move on. And I felt like one time I was in the backstock room and I was just folding clothes. I felt like God, you know, gently rebuked me as a father and he was just encouraging me and saying like, yes, Josh, the best is yet to come. And I have great plans for you. And, and for sure, no doubt, the best is yet to come. But don't overlook the season that you're in right now. There's value in the season to know me even better, deeper, newer. Because every season is a sacred and divine invitation for you to experience my presence like never before. So would you worship me with everything in this season? Because you may never get this season back, Josh. You may never get this season back. And I was just like, I was just like weeping in the back sock by myself. And I was just like, oh, I'm never going to get this season back, God. <laughs> But that's why I think seasons and all the things that we go through are just so important because seasons are divine and sacred invitation from our Heavenly Father to know His presence like never before. Amen? And it's easy to think that certain seasons are just seasons to pass and certain seasons just forgot to teach us something. But what I'm learning more and more in my journey with, with my journey with God is that, is that before God is a good teacher, He's first and foremost a good Father. Because, I mean, what kind of father would God be if he only uses difficult things in life and seasons just to teach us and to make us more prepared for the next season? But God is so good that he uses seasons not only to teach us, but to have us experience his presence like never before. To let us experience his faithfulness and goodness and all different things so that we would never, ever doubt that his presence ever leaves us or forsakes us. Right? And that's the heart of the father with seasons. Therefore, every season has value, and every season is an invitation to know and experience His presence like never before. And the amazing thing is, this, is that we're all in different seasons in this room. I mean, if you think about it, we're all coming from different places in different seasons, right? Some of us are in a season of marriage, engagement, and dating, and it's fun, and it's great, while others of us were in a season of singleness, and like the wise words of my girl Beyonce, we're still waiting for someone to put a ring on it, right? Some of us were in a season of fulfillment. Right? God has finally answered our prayers. We've been getting jobs. We, we were finally able to have a kid. We're getting accepted into things. And God is answering prayers that we've been praying for so long. But other of us, we're just still in a season of waiting. We're still in a season of hiddenness. And we're just wondering, God, when are you going to deliver? When are you going to come through? Other of us, were in a season of healing, and God is finally restoring, reconciling, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all different things in our life. 
But others of us were still in a season of bleeding. And we're probably at the most broken point in our life than we've ever been. And so we're all coming from different seasons and in different places, and we're all offering up different offerings, sacrifice, and worship unto God. So when some of us, when we're singing good, good Father, we're coming from a place where God has answered our prayers. So we're confirming, yes, God, you're good. You're awesome. You're perfect. But others of us, when we're in a season of just frustration, doubting, hiddenness, pain, when we're singing, you're a good, good father, it's coming from a place like, God, it's so hard for me to accept those words. It's so hard for me to believe the very words that I'm singing. But I'm choosing to trust and believe that you're good and you're going to come through one day. And that's why I believe that corporate worship is so beautiful. Because you got all these different people from different seasons offering up different worship and different sacrifices unto God. And God is so pleased with all worship, whether it's coming from a season of blessing or whether it's coming from a season of frustration. Just God just wants our all. And I don't think Abraham's journey was perfect in any sense. Right? He had highs, he had lows, he had successes, he had failures. He was faithful in one moment, he was faithless in another. But what I love about Abraham is this, that Abraham gave thanks and worshipped God all the way from the wilderness in Genesis 12, all the way to the promises, Genesis chapter 22. That in every step of the journey that he built an altar before the Lord. So my prayer for people contending for revival in this tri-state region is that we wouldn't be a people of worship only when we feel like it. That we wouldn't be a people of worship only when we feel like we have it all together. That we wouldn't be a people of worship only when it comforts us or when it's comfortable to us. But my prayer is that we would be a people of God, a people of revival who can love God anywhere and at any time and who's willing to build altars in every season. Amen. That we would be a people of God who can worship Him all the way from the wilderness to the promise and even more when we receive the promise. That we would be a people of God who would have the heart of Abraham to say, God, wherever you lead me, I can build an altar there and I will worship you. That we would be a people of God who can love him anywhere. And the truth is, is that sometimes we're not going to feel like it. You guys can all testify that sometimes life is going to hit us hard. But in Psalm 49, King David, one of the greatest worshipers in the Bible, he says this. He says, offer a sacrifice of praise. Offer a sacrifice of praise because King David knew that sometimes it's going to feel like a sacrifice to raise your hands in worship. King David knew that sometimes it's going to feel like a sacrifice to sing the very words on the screen that you don't feel and believe. King David knew that sometimes it's going to feel like a sacrifice to trust God in the very seasons that you're going through. He knew that the very last thing that you would want to do is worship God when your circumstances and your situations don't match up with His with promises in your life. But brothers and sisters, as a revivalist, where worship is the foundation of our lives, we're called to be thermostats and not thermometers. We're called to be thermostats and not thermometers because thermometers have no power to change temperature in and of themselves. Right? Tem thermometers, all they can do is just read temperature. It only settles and conforms to the temperature, the atmosphere around them. They can only tell people around them what the temperature is. And I think for a lot of us, it's easy to give into the seasons that we're in. It's easy to, especially if we're going through a difficult season, we're like, it's easy just to give into the season and just say, man, I don't feel like worshiping God today, so I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to give it my all. I'm not going to lift my hands. I'm not going to sing all out. But the thing is this, that thermostats have the power to change temperature and shift any culture around them. 
And as sons and daughters of the King Most High, when we worship, we have the power to change any atmosphere, any culture, any situation, any season that we're in. Because we have the power to choose to worship God anywhere, at any time, any moment. Amen? And when we worship, we invite His holy presence into where we are. And we know that wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is joy. There is revival. There is renewal. Right? This doesn't mean that we have to be passionate, like, like happy-go-lucky passion all the time. Be like, yeah, Jesus, I just, I don't know. You know what I mean? Because I think sometimes the most passionate people are those who are going through a difficulty, but they still choose to love God right in that moment. Sometimes I think passion looks like having the resolve to choose God even when you don't feel like it. I think that's what passion looks like sometimes. And my second prayer for us is this. As we worship God from the wilderness to the promise, my prayer is that we would teach our children now and in the future to do the same. To how to worship God wherever you are. Because as many of you guys know, Abraham's legacy is known as the father of faith, right? But I think there's another aspect of Abraham's legacy that's so beautiful. If you look at Abraham's life, we see that his son Isaac and Jacob, they do the very same thing. In Genesis 26 and 33, Isaac and Jacob actually build altars. They call on the name of the Lord and they worship God in the seasons that they're at. And the cool thing is that those two very places where Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his grandson, where they built altars, is the exact same places that Abraham built altars in his life before as well. So when we worship God in the seasons that we're at, what we're doing is we're leaving behind markers of God's presence in our journey. And by building altars, we're leaving behind a sign that says, I worship God in this season no matter what I was going through. So that when our kids journey through the same land, through the same place, and when they go through the same obstacles, the same difficulties, they can look at the altars that you built in that season and realize that our one true living God is so worthy of worship. That they can look at the altars that you built and say, man, my, my parent, my father, my mother, they chose to worship God, so this Jesus must be faithful, and therefore I'm going to build an altar here as well and choose to worship God in this moment. One of the greatest things that we can do is to teach and impart our children to worship where we are. But it starts with us. It starts with us. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says this, God is looking throughout the entire earth to find people who will worship Him. That the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth for people who are so committed to Him. God isn't looking for the greatest, and God isn't looking for the best, the most successful, the richest, but God is looking for the most faithful. People who will worship Him in every and through every season, no matter what the cost, no matter what the price. So at this time, we're just going to respond. So you can just rise with me. We're just going to go into extend. We're just going to go into time of worship. Some of us, there's some of us.
those who despise the season that you're currently in. But I feel like the Lord is, is asking you to find value in this season because every season is a divine invitation from our Heavenly Father to experience His presence like never before. I feel like for some of us, I feel like you just need to know that you're right where you need to be. You've been doubting the season that you're in. I feel like the, I feel like the Father just wants to let you know that you're right where you need to be. And that His presence has never left you and His presence has never forsaken you. of us, we've just been in a really long season for a time now. And you're wondering, God, will I ever get out of this? When will this season end? And I feel like the Lord is asking you, can you worship your way out of the wilderness to the promise? Are you willing to lay down your life to build an altar, to let go of your offenses? worship your way all due to the promise. So at this time, we're just going to sing it's just a simple song to worship you, I live. And can we just make a declaration as we sing the song? That God, wherever I'm at, whatever season I'm in right now, God, I choose to worship you with everything that I have. I give you my all at this very moment. So let's just worship. Thank you for listening to Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.